This is an ABC podcast. The following podcast contains descriptions of the most pass-ag bosses in the history of passive aggression, like you probably will not believe these stories. There's also some pretty spicy language, so if you're offended by the words or please proceed with caution. Come in. I think we need to have a little chat about your role here. When we took you on, it was on the understanding that you had something to offer us. But what I have seen so far shows a complete lack of interest in our work here. I notice you took an extended lunch break today. And I'm pretty sure I saw you napping. (laughs) And what are you wearing? Uh, Do you think that's appropriate for a professional setting? Now, this is not about you spilling my tea. And it's not about you losing my paperwork. Mistakes I can handle. This is about your complete lack of commitment to me, to your role, to this whole organisation. No, don't you cry. Don't you dare cry. And thumb out of your mouth, please. Sorry, Mummy. Three more minutes and you can get off the naughty chair. You never forget your first bad boss. Or your second, third, or the one you've got right now. Bosses who take the credit, play the blame game, micromanage, play favourites, have questionable ethics, questionable hygiene, or the ones that get crabby, or worse, grabby. So, how do you deal with a horrible boss and what lessons can we learn from the good ones? We'll get to that. People don't leave bad jobs or bad companies, they leave bad managers. But first, oh, God, when we asked you for your horrible boss stories, you told us some absolute shockers. The week before Christmas, instead of politely pulling me aside and saying, hey, we've found someone permanent, we're going to be letting you go, your role's no longer needed, they sent a group email out to everybody within the department to say, Anna will be finishing with us on Friday. Massive micromanager, nightmare situation. Um, it happens all the time. I was preparing a brief for court, so I'd spread myself out in our boardroom at the time and I was rummaging through papers and he'd walked in after finishing a meeting and just casually said to me, that's what I like to see a woman in her place, a woman on her knees, and just sort of smiled and walked off. I've had uh, bosses who have called me into their office to demand that I make them a cup of soup. So we were at the work Christmas lunch in a very upscale restaurant and the boss, who was the managing director, and I was his PA, got up to make a speech to everyone, which he normally did at Christmas time, and decided that he wanted to thank me for my hard work, which is a lovely thought. And his exact comment was, like most bitches after they've had a litter, uh, Beck's work ethic has increased and she's doing fabulous work. (laughs) She blatantly told me that I'd been hired because I was pretty and also she would routinely pull us beside the um, change rooms and pull our tops down at (gasps) opportune moments so that we were showing more cleavage to close out a sale. Okay, um, all right, I think this is a good moment to make it really clear that there is a point where a toxic boss crosses way over the line into, let's just say, Me Too territory. And that is such a big topic on its own. We are going to tackle that in a whole other episode. And if you've experienced sexual harassment at work and you feel comfortable enough sharing your story, 
email pineapple at abc.net.au or give us a call on 1300 641 222 and leave a message. I'd love to hear your stories. But when it comes to garden variety horrible bosses, you know what we need? Someone who's seen it all, taken it all on and isn't afraid to call a spade a, uh, an asshole. Bob Sutton is an organisational psychologist at Stanford University. I like him a lot. He wrote a book called The Asshole Survival Guide all about how to recognise jerks in management. Spoiler alert, it could be you. So can we swear in this podcast? Like, what's the, what are the rules? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, and, um, just a word of warning. You're about to hear Bob say the word asshole a bunch of times. We're all adults here. The bad bosses essentially treat people like shit and can't get shit done. So if you've got a boss who does the following three things, I think you're working for an asshole. Number one, they send you emails in the middle of the weekend when you're on vacation. To me, that's the first sign. The second sign you've got um, an asshole boss is that when you do something bad, they always blame you when you make a mistake and when you do something well, they take credit for it and don't give you credit. And then the third sign that you've got an asshole boss is that um, they're constantly bragging. They're constantly talking about how wonderful and how brilliant they are and how everybody else is an idiot. So if you're confirming people's uh, darkest fears that they indeed work for a bad boss, how do you recommend they manage that person? In terms of feeling good and doing good for the world, the best thing you can do is to document, to sort of bond together with your co-workers and other fellow victims and make the case. But you got to be careful because there's lots of situations where the boss may have more power than you and maybe you don't have another job and maybe the boss isn't so bad that it's worth quitting. Many bosses who are temperamental tend to you know, sort of go off occasionally. And what will happen is there will be early asshole warning systems. <laughs> Literally, and I've seen this, where people will stick their head in to the boss's assistant or send them an email, which is, is it safe? And a good executive assistant, that, that's one of the things that he or she does, is to warn the organization about uh, whether or not it's safe to engage the boss, or maybe you should go hide somewhere in a conference room or something. And then there's a whole bunch of things that we all use, which is to not take it personally, to realize when you look back on it someday, it won't be so bad. And then, and then the one thing I just love to do is to see the humor in it. One of my favorite folks is a woman named Becky Margiata, who uh, was a, a U.S. military officer, and she went through our military academy, West Point. And the classic hazing you get is you get a senior classman in your nose screaming at you every day about something that's just part of the hazing. And so Becky's response was to view them as the world's funniest comedians. And she said, literally, the nastier they were, the funnier I thought they were. And she said, the main reason I get in trouble is I'd start giggling about how nasty they were. Now, that's somebody who has good mental health. So why do some people automatically turn into jerks when they get promoted? If you take a job or go to a place where there's lots of assholes, the chances are that you are also going to turn into one too. So I think it's important to treat bad behavior of all kind, especially disrespect, treating people with um, lack of dignity, throwing out insults, is very much like a contagious disease that you can catch from other people and spread to other people. So what kind of work 
culture should you be on the lookout for? There's three or four characteristics. If you wanted to breed and attract people who are insensitive jerks, there's certain things you can do. And, and you just have to look at our famous Elon Musk is almost perfect. One is that you make them feel really powerful. When people are powerful, they tend to be insensitive to the needs of others and selfish. Two, you put them under lots of time pressure. One of the uh, most reliable ways to make people nasty is to make them under time pressure. Three, sleep deprivation is a wonderful way to turn people into jerks. And then four, if they have role models of people who are famous jerks, so Elon Musk uh, worships Steve Jobs, or at least he admires him a great deal, so then you've got sort of a, a perfect soup to, uh, to turn people into jerks and to reward them for being jerks. And unfortunately, although to be clear, there are many exceptions in Silicon Valley of lovely senior executives and venture capitalists, but um, on the whole, they're above average on the jerk scale. And oh, we have a bunch of conditions that, that create it. And if you are a boss, for the bosses out there, Start thinking of the factors. If you start getting power, if you're paid a lot more than the people you work for, if you're sleep deprived, if you're in a hurry, if you're around a bunch of jerks, beware, you're probably going to turn into a jerk. If you're having an experience and you're sure your boss is an absolute nut job or just an absolute bully, mm -hmm. how are you sure that it's not you? Uh, so that's a great question. So one of my mottos, and it's evidence-based, is to be slow to label other people as assholes and to be fast to label yourself as an asshole. And the reason it's evidence-based is most of us have self-serving biases where we tend, especially if we have good mental health, where we tend to blame others, to see the evil in others and not to see it in ourselves. So you gotta be really careful to not label other people prematurely. But to me, there's two signs, if you will. The first one is if everywhere you go, you think that people are treating you like dirt, to me, that's a sign that you've got a really thin skin. If you're constantly taking offense, narcissists are like this. They think everybody's out to get them. They think everybody's evil. They think that they're great. We have a certain president in the United States who seems to suffer from this, for example. That's one thing to be aware of. The second way to sort of know is essentially to have other people in your life that you can check it out with, which is to have coworkers, peers, maybe other bosses somewhere else who you can ask, is it me or is it them? And to have people in your life who you can trust is one of the most precious things. Is there a case for telling your boss the truth? I mean, that it sounds so terrifying, but do you make an appointment to go in and say, I think you might be an asshole boss? I would say yes, but you gotta be really careful. To me, a lot of it depends on the boss and how much power you have compared to your boss, too. But there's a really important distinction that I like to make, which is the distinction between a clueless asshole and a strategic asshole. If you've got a boss who sees him or herself as a good person, but doesn't realize that he or she's being inconsiderate, treating people like they're invisible, maybe losing their temper a little bit too often, then pulling that person aside backstage and gently explaining they're losing it probably won't be too much of a problem. But when people believe that the way to get ahead is to treat other people like dirt, and then you pull them aside and give them feedback that they're treating other people like dirt, it's not going to work because they think it's a winning strategy, even though the evidence is that on the whole and in the long term, that uh, being at least being all asshole all the time does not work as an effective career strategy. So what do the best bosses do? They actually can manage in such a way that people get things done and feel good about it 
and they treat them with respect in the process of doing so. So they have high quality standards, but they bring everybody along. And just to name a good boss, since I have admired him for years, Ed Catmill, who is the president of Pixar. And he had a very tough boss to manage himself, which was one Steve Jobs for 25 years. He is the leader behind building the modern Pixar, which uh, makes some of the greatest animated movies in the world. So as a founder, he did that. Um, And then he and some of his colleagues from Pixar turned around Disney Animation Studios and brought it back to be one of the great animation studios around. And he's very, very widely admired. He will fire people. He will lay off people. He will give them negative feedback. But he always thinks about the larger context of, of excellence and treating people with respect in the process. Yeah. A good boss protects you from their boss. Yep. That is actually probably the defining characteristic of all the good bosses I've had. They've protected me from the one above them. Yeah, there's always some shit rolling down from the top and the best ones find ways to protect you. And when do you know that it's time to quit? My first answer to that is you know it's time to quit when either you don't need another job or you can get one. So, oh, you're really, so pragmatic. No, no, you got to be. I'm, I'm sorry. People need to eat, you know, in, in, unless they're being physically abused. But if it's sort of like legal, normal insulting and bullying or ignoring you or uh, giving you unfair assignments or something in those situations, you know, there, there's all these dramatic cases of people saying, take this job and shove it and, and running out. And, and, and that looks great in Hollywood. But then if you can't feed your family or feed yourself or you're going to lose your house, uh, be careful. And so I'm a big believer in not burning bridges. So my perspective is that although you should be careful about when you quit, it's easier to find another job when you have one. So a lot of it depends on what your options are. Thanks, Bob. And if you're hearing this thinking, that is my life. My boss does so many of those things. Bob gave me three things you can do right now to make dealing with a bad boss a bit easier. One, document their bad behaviour so you have a record of it if you need it in future. Two, if they're red in the face and acting like a tyrant, you can try and think of the whole situation as funny. I mean, don't tell them you're doing that, obviously. And three, if those strategies don't work, use your mind to time travel to a perfect future where you don't have to deal with them every day. Does that help? Good luck. So, as much as you would really like to just tell that micromanaging, credit-taking, gaslighting sociopath to shove it, what would really happen if you quit? Chloe, whose name we've changed, has a bad boss war story that will make Meryl Streep's character in The Devil Wears Prada look like the aunt who still gives you $20 in a card at your birthday. There was myself in an administration role and about six other women that were working in the practice as either administration or dental nurses or hygienists. Okay, so you were 21. You start working for this dentist. Yes. How quickly did you realise that you were working for a terrible boss? Well, it all started with promises. So when I took the role, you know, there were these grand promises of cash bonuses You know, he told me that the hours were quite long, but I'd only ever have to work four days a week. There was lunches and and extravagant Christmas parties. And so it all seemed a little bit too good to be true. And it, it probably took 
a week or two for that shininess to to come away and and for things to start to look a bit differently. So what were the first clues that it wasn't as shiny and wonderful as he'd promised? He just kept changing the rules. So the hours were just went from, oh, no, you'll have a whole day off to really extreme and I was just always at work. Okay. What else did this guy do? One thing I noticed was that there was quite a a controlled dress code. So the assistants all had uniforms, but I was expected to wear corporate workwear. Uh, He liked makeup, heels, I guess similar to an airline sort of attire. Cabin crew. He wanted you to look like cabin crew. Yeah. To do his dental admin. I was okay with that, but then he would just constantly critique what you were wearing Um, to the point where it would be one day I remember I arrived at work and he looked at me and he said, you're not wearing that today, are you? And I just What was it? (laughs) It would have been a pair of black work pants, a pair of black heeled shoes and I think it was a red knit so it wasn't, yeah, it just, uh, I was stunned, but I wasn't surprised. And so what I used to do, if he did say something like that to me, I would wait until his first patient arrived because I knew then he's busy and I would quickly drive home <gasps> and get changed. So you got changed based on his little, you're not wearing that, are you, comment? Yeah, yeah. I just, I was too scared to, I think, to, to challenge him on it, so I would just go change. What else started to happen? One day he said to me, I want this sushi dish from this restaurant and I want it on my desk by 12 sharp. And I had bought him several lunches from this restaurant before and I said, it, it, the restaurant opens at 12, and he said, we'll just make it happen. So off, <laughs> off I run, I'm knocking on the restaurant window and luckily they were just so lovely and they made me the special dish, rushed it back to the surgery, had it on his desk at 12 and he did not touch it. It just sat there. And it wasn't that, like, I know that people think, well, well, maybe he had an emergency or, you know, he got stuck in in surgery. No, he was in that office. He just chose not to care. (laughs) So how anxious did you feel? Like racing to the knocking on the window of the sushi place. Did you have an well, idea of what might happen to you? Well, I guess you kind of felt like it. It felt like oh, you were rushing home to your parents because you'd missed your curfew, or you, you know, you had to do something, or you were you'd have to go see the principal. That was the kind of relationship it was. Like it felt like he just had all this power. And that you would be, if you didn't do it, that you would be yelled at and that you would, and that that would be public. And he wasn't, he wasn't adverse to actually criticising and, and having a go at his staff in front of clients. So it could even be really public, um, humiliating behaviour. <laughs> Did he know that he was making people cry? Oh, yes. Oh, day-old sushi, anyone? Yep. 
that is not the end of Chloe's story. She has a lot more horror to tell us about. We're going to come back to that. Just after we celebrate the real smorgasbord of horrible bosses that there are out there in the world. Oh, gosh, I had a bricklayer once, and he was a if I'm allowed to say that. He was he was tough. He was really mean, and um, he insulted all of us. Oh, you're hopeless, you'll never mount anything. Oh, look at you, you can't live for shit. All, all sorts of crazy stuff. My boss, you know, he would kind of, he would really underpay you. Sometimes you would have a shift, or you might have, like, three shifts a week, and he'll cut your shifts without even, like, just messaging you saying, don't worry about coming into work today because, you know, we don't need you, basically. And then they come, like, near you and they, like, intimidate you. Yeah, I left that job. The way they deliver feedback was just, like, belittling uh, and it made me feel like I'm not worth this job. She was just very on my back, very much a micromanager, and when someone micromanages me, that's when I shut down. I lasted two years, and then the final straw was when, uh, yeah, he started insulting my old lady and stuff because she came to pick me up, and then, yeah, I lost my shit and chased him around the ute with a trail, and, and so that was, the end of it. that was the end of my apprenticeship. Yeah, no matter what you did, it would just not be good enough. In front of customers, you'd be yelling and it'd make the customers feel awkward. You stick at it because when you really need a job, you just need to get paid, but yeah, every day it wasn't a very nice experience. You are kind of trapped though, you felt really sort of just sat there and took it, and then, um, yeah, it was pretty tough on a building site being young. You felt like rebelling and throwing a brick at him or something like that, but he, at the end of the day, he paid your wages, so you couldn't do much, eh? and bullying and intimidation, oh my! People can be the worst, can't they? Oh, back to Chloe. It's just getting good. I mean bad. Anyway, you won't believe the stunt this guy pulled next. I think that that final tipping point for me was after... I I must have been getting close to my 12-month anniversary of working there and um, it was late one evening. He called myself and two other assistants to come into his office and um, he sat us down and he said, right, someone's stealing from me. And we all looked shocked and he said, uh, well, if if no one's got anything to say, then uh, I'm afraid to tell you that uh, you're responsible for this. I'm going to call the police, you are from this moment fired and you're going to be arrested for stealing. What? Yes, and I just panicked. I was so scared and I I started to cry and all I could think about was how am I going to call my boyfriend, how am I going to call my parents and say I've been arrested for stealing and I knew I hadn't done anything and I was, oh, I was so scared. And I look back now and I know that he didn't have a leg to stand on, but at the time I was just absolutely petrified. I was so upset. Apart from crying, what did you say? I just kept saying I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And then he he just said, okay, um, and he, he said to the other two ladies, I'd like you to leave. And um, they left and as soon as they were out of the out of the door, he said, oh, you can calm down now. I know it wasn't you. Uh, it was, and he named the girl that was sitting next to me. Uh, and he says, I know I know she did it and I, I want her to confess. So I know you didn't do it, but, you know, this is my way of getting her to confess to it. What is wrong with him? It, I was... 
I could not believe it. Yeah, <laughs> it was absolutely horrendous. And I started looking for new jobs that night. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you did. Probably not for dentists. No. Well, I actually went back to retail. I just got a, a register job and I started studying and I thought, I'm never going in an office again. I was I was done. You deserve a good boss. Thank you for your story. I, I'm okay now, Claire. And the silver lining is Chloe now has the best horrible boss story to tell at any dinner party. And she went back and studied to become a teacher. Chloe is a teacher. Mm, I've had some ripper bad bosses back in my day as well. I don't find that I have that much trouble anymore with bad bosses because I guess because I'm such an angel in the workplace. Work wife. Yeah. Work wife. We are best friends. Between the hours of nine and five. It would be weird to see you on the weekend. Claire, thank goodness I caught you. There's just a bit of a tricky work type thing I need to discuss with you. Is, is this about the biscuits? I thought they were free. No, no, you can have all the Kingstons you like. This is about the hand gesture I saw you give your producer right now. Well, why do you always take her side? Darling, I'm on your side. That's why I'm going to teach you about managing up. You mean sucking up. I definitely do not. I mean managing up. And good news, it all boils down to building relationships. Just like we learned about networking in episode three. Exactly. You're not being manipulative. You're actually taking the long view of things. What you really need to do here is to take your growth mindset and apply it to that relationship with your boss. Most studies into managing people say that even if you don't really like your manager, if you ask a few questions about their goals and their work style and what really stresses them out, then you'll have a much better understanding of them and you can work together to manage each other's expectations and priorities, which means your days will be easier and you won't find yourself storming out after you've given your producer the finger. Yeah, it's totally sucking up though. Yeah, sort of is. But it's actually a proven workplace strategy that's good for your career. So I should, like, ask them how they like to do stuff and what they want from life. Yeah, there's that. But I'd even say you should do things like work out which senior members of staff hate body contact and give them plenty of personal space. I do like to stand close to people. You really do. I'm trying to work out if you're one of those people who hates body contact. Why? I've been getting a hug vibe. We still have a few episodes to go. Don't peek too soon. Virginia Trioli! Come in for a hug. Oh, no, that's right. No body contact. Sorry, I forgot. She's right. I know she's right. You can't just give your boss the finger and walk out the door. Wait, can I? Definitely not, Claire. We've been over this. You have contractual obligations. Uh, whatever. So anyway, all these stories about people dealing with nightmare bosses have got me thinking. We need to band together to be kinder to each other at work. Sarah Fritz has started an organisation called Yes Queen. Sorry, that's um. just to be clear, that's Yes Queen. And they're all about creating more supportive workplaces in Australia and right around the world. And how about some stuff Sarah says we could do when we go to work today? If you see someone that's having a really bad day, go and buy them a coffee or a tea and leave it on their desk. Giving someone a compliment, they're very rare these days. So acknowledging someone after a meeting, you really nailed it, or I really got a lot out of what you said. Workplaces can have a lot of negativity, so it's looking for those times you can bring that positivity and kindness. There's nothing more important than being a good human being to your friends, your family or to the employee. 
that you might not even like that much, but they deserve empowering and inspiring workplace experience. What a good idea. I like what Sarah has to say about having your co-workers back and being inclusive. So maybe next time that horrible boss sends someone for sushi or, say, you know, accuses them of a crime they haven't committed, like giving the finger to a colleague, mm-hmm, you can try being kind and brave and stand up for them. Make the workplace a nicer place for everyone. And, you know, we should all celebrate that stuff. If you're thinking about the time a co-worker did something really great for you at work, why not share the story with me? Call me at 1300 641 2 and leave a message or email pineapple at abc.net.au and share that story. I'm Claire Hooper and this is The Pineapple Project, the podcast that makes you better at work. And I really hope we just made your workday a little bit easier. Next on The Pineapple Project, you've heard plenty of stories about horrible bosses, but what happens when that bad behaviour crosses the line into sexual harassment? Well, he told me that I'd be a great broker if I just got my tits out. Because I'm bisexual, he kept on asking me whether I was dating a man or a woman and making me pick, and and then I just had to quit. I just got too much. It's time to get straight on exactly what behaviour is okay and not okay in the workplace. You didn't think that it was something that you could talk about or how was it going to jeopardise your career if you did speak about it? And what you can do if you've been sexually harassed or discriminated against at work. It's sexual. It could be comments, it could be jokes, it could be a text message. And the average person would say, yeah, that's pretty disgusting. That's next episode on The Pineapple Project. Click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or hear it in the ABC Listen app. This is a production of ABC Audio Studios. Oh, and if you're wondering how many times Bob Sutton said the word asshole, ten. Ten times. I told you so. And seriously, Claire, just put your hands in your pockets if you can't control them. <laughs> <laughs>